Premier Christian Newscast. Since the Islamic Revolution of 1979, the government of Iran has sought to tightly control its small Christian minority and suppress the spread of Christianity throughout the population. Although there are some ethnic Christian minorities allowed to worship openly, Persian-speaking Iranians from a Muslim background are forbidden to become Christians, forcing them into underground house churches. But the women, life, freedom, anti-government protest movement in recent years has rocked the Islamist regime. Millions of Iranians have defied the strict interpretation of Islam that the government espouses, prompting a violent backlash from the state. What impact has this convulsion had on the persecuted church in Iran? How has the church continued to grow, despite the crackdowns? And is there any hope for Iranians to be given genuine freedom to worship anytime soon? I'm Tim Wyatt, and you're listening to the Premier Christian Newscast. This week, we're digging into stories of the persecuted church in Iran, speaking with exiles and family members of Christians in prison to better understand what price believers must pay to remain faithful to Jesus in the Islamic Republic. Debrina Bet Tamraz today lives in exile in Switzerland, but she was raised in Iran. Growing up as a member of the Christian Assyrian minority, practicing her faith was begrudgingly tolerated by the regime, but over time, harassment, detention, and persecution ramped up until she was forced to flee in 2010. Today, she's an outspoken advocate for Christians in Iran. Can I start by asking you just to kind of explain a little bit about? your own kind of backstory growing up as a Christian in Iran, what what was that like? How kind of open and free were you able to be about, about your faith? Sure. I come from a Christian background. I'm a Syrian Christian. So I was, I was born into a Christian family. My parents were pastors. I didn't have to convert to Christianity, which made my life a little bit easier because we belonged to the community. We were allowed to attend the church, attend um, Christian schools. Um, I went to Catholic school. So I, I experienced more freedom um, as I was a recognized Christian believer. Because my father uh, was an evangelical pastor, pastor of an Assyrian uh, Assemblies of God church in Iran, we did face discrimination and persecution. Um, we were threatened quite often since I can remember. My father would go um, missing very often. He would be interrogated. There were threats on me and my brother of being kidnapped. Um, Growing up, we understood the price that we pay to follow Christ. When um, when I was 23, our church got shut down in Tehran. And that was two 2009 and in the same year I was detained I was interrogated on a weekly basis I was expelled from the university um, and I was detained in a male only detention center I had to leave the country in 2010 2014 my father was arrested he spent 65 days in solitary confinement and was sentenced to 10 years in prison in 2000 
um, 16, both my mother and my brother were arrested. My mother was sentenced to five years in prison. My brother did one year in prison and was let go, was free due to corona, which we are very grateful. Wow. So uh, even though it was kind of officially tolerated in, in reality, the government, the state was not happy about you running, helping run a church, practicing your faith, being being a Christian. Yes. And that and that wasn't, um, as you say, it's not because you're a convert, it's because, just because you believed in Jesus. Be because we are Protestants. So um, as long as you cooperate with the government um, and you comply to the rules and regulations, which became harder and harder every year. So if you're a traditional church and you only preach in Assyrian or Armenian, um, if you do not have any literature in Farsi, and if you don't allow Iranian to attend your church, you do have certain freedom. You still need to um, cooperate with the regime. Um, they tell you, they dictate what you need to do and you have to comply. However, again, um, since Ahmadinejad's uh, presidential law changed extremely, and today, Protestant churches, Protestant believers are considered um, a danger, a threat to the regime. They are considered terrorist, Zionist, um, and actors, um, active against national security. Wow. And and did your parents' church, did they, were they keen to try and evangelize and share the faith with kind of farsi speaking muslims they didn't want to just kind of keep within their own community but they wanted to share christianity beyond the wars and that's what the government was particularly upset about i mean our church was open we had hundreds of iranian attending our church um our services were both in assyrian and in farsi which was completely illegal back then we didn't do anything illegal we were not evangelizing we were not going on the street talking talking about Christ. But however, if someone wants to come to church, be informed, legally we were allowed to answer. So yes, we had many believers in our church and our church was growing and striving. We could see God's work. And that was the issue because Christianity is growing in Iran, especially Protestant Christianity. People are more and more interested in, in, in Christian faith um, and they're drawn to, to, to this phase. So in 2009, the government, we were the first church that got uh, shut down in Iran. So they did back then get, tell us or give us the option to either keep the church only for Assyrian people and do not conduct any more Farsi services or that they will take away the church. We prayed about it and we, we went, uh, we, we took our time in, and prayed and God clearly told us to um, let go. He told us that it's okay if the government closes, shuts down the church and closes the doors because he will open the gates of heaven. And if they arrest us, he will raise four times, ten times more men and women of God who are going to shout hallelujah on the streets. And we decided that we do not want the building and we're not going to comply to or, or cooperate with the government. And so despite this kind of tightening of persecution and the stricter rules, you said the church in Iran is is still there actively growing, both within kind of Assyrian communities and 
uh, in, in kind of Persian communities? Absolutely. It's the, one of the fastest growing churches um, in Middle East and, uh, and in the world, I believe. Yes, because Iranian um, are very eager, they're very hungry, thirsty for the truth, for God. Most Iranian believe in God. However, they have been deceived, they have been lied to, um, they have a government that functions on lies. So it does make you think, is this a true religion? Is this really how fate should look like? Uh, am I allowed re really to deceive and lie and cheat? So they are seeking for God. And I believe that Jesus is literally standing in the middle of the, the country, like in the middle of the sea, and just fishing from right and left because there's so much fish in the sea. And Christ is the one who is evangelizing. We were not. He is. He is meeting people through visions and dreams. There's a say among ex-Muslims, have you seen the white man? It's very often that they would ask each other, have you seen the white man? Because the white man, being Christ, appears to people, whether it's through visions or dreams or literally in person. He is the evangelist and people get to encounter him and meet with him personally. And the numbers of Christians is growing. Hmm. That's amazing and really encouraging to hear. Has there been any kind of intersection between the the church and the recent protest movement, you know, women, life, freedom uh, that we've seen in Iran in recent years? Or is that a completely kind of separate uh, kind of political only movement? No, I believe th th they are the same. I believe these are people saying we want the freedom of choice. We want to believe. We want to choose for ourselves. We don't want to be told what to believe, what to choose. In fact, when you say women life freedom, it says, allow me to choose what I wear. Allow me to choose what I believe. Allow me to choose how I can act. And um, it's a cry for freedom. Just as Christians are crying, converts are saying, allow me to choose my own faith my own lifestyle. I do not want to believe in your religious ideology. I want to have my own choice. I would like to convert to another faith because this is what I want to, what I believe in. And I believe both are all, all of them are actually a shout of religious freedom, a free mm -hmm. choice of belief, of thoughts. So I know I do. I do believe that we are here one, um, and and we are asking for the same thing. And does it give you kind of hope for the future that there is a, a possible future for Iran not under the regime of the Ayatollahs and and uh, you know a potential future for Iran where you could return, for example? It has to be. Darkness cannot continue. There's a there's evil. There's darkness on that country, and people are suffering every day. This cannot continue. People cannot continue to suffer for so long. We have suffered for so long. People are very wise, they're awakened, they're educated. Um, they don't want this regime and this cannot continue. I mean, yes, I, I do have hope and I do believe that we will see freedom, that we will see changes within the regime and there will be in Iran that I can go back home um, and enjoy being back home again. In your experience, are 
are ordinary Iranians anti-Christian or is that hostility and persecution just coming from, from the regime? Personally, I have experienced this hostility from the regime, from very fanatical Muslims. Um, as, as Christian as anyone, we had good reputation. Often people say Christian's hands um, is, um, is a blessing. So if you go to a shop and if you want to buy something, they will always say your hand contains blessing. So Christians have good reputation in Iran. Um, they are loved we, as soon as they know. I say I'm Dabrina. Dabrina is a Christian name. People realize, oh, you're not Muslim. You're not Iranian. And they are very open. They're very open to talk with me and to understand my faith. And, and you, you, you come to conversation. Uh, people trust Christians. They don't trust Muslims. Um, when I was in Iran, I got jobs just because I was a Christian, because people said, we trust you. We trust you. We're going to hire you. I could sell my car, and I wanted to tell someone that my car has a defect. It has an issue. And he said, you know, I don't care. Just because you're a Christian, I want your car, because I know wow. it contains blessing. So, no, people are very open. They're very kind, lovely. They are very much interested um, to hear, to have a fellowship with, with believers. So just having a cross in my car, having worship music in my car. Um, I was proud of walking around with the Bible in my hand. Um, I, I was proud of the cross so, because people love it and they are uh, attracted to it. Hmm. That's so interesting. And just lastly, then, how can we in the in the West, in countries where we are free to to practice our faith, how can we best support and and advocate for persecuted believers who are still still living in Iran? I believe, especially in England, you have this very interesting government structure that we don't have in in other countries, like Switzerland, Germany, or France. You have MPs, and I believe that British people have they hold power um, over the government so one of the things that I, I always encourage um, British people to do is to write their MPs to ask their MPs to raise their voice to advocate for persecuted churches globally to advocate for, for religious freedom to have courage and ask your MPs to stand for religious freedom um, speak out, use media, use advocacy, um, social media, everything to, um, to to raise awareness about 365 million of people who are being persecuted today. Churches need to be more aware, people need to be more aware, and just pray. I know everybody will say pray, but prayer is the beginning for everything, and it it is powerful, and I can tell you, as believers who are in prison, who are suffering, they literally rely on prayers. They can't get your money. They can't get anything from you, but prayer will do a lot, and we rely on those prayers. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast.
find out more about the situation in Iran, I then spoke with Mansour Borji, who works for Article 18, a London-based NGO which fights for freedom of religion within Iran. I, I guess my first question I, I'd love to ask is, do we, do we know how many Christians there are in Iran at present? Or is that just simply an unknowable question? Uh, it's knowable to God, of course, but uh, for many of us, uh, this was unknowable and still uh, is, a, is a mystery. So it's a billion dollar question that everybody asks from policymakers, lawmakers to um, analysts. But they, and it was all dependent on the guess or what people guess the uh, number. Um, guessing game, that's the word I was looking for. And because uh, the nature of the church at the moment is half overground and half underground, and perhaps some percentage is isolated believers who um, become Christian through internet and uh, satellite television broadcasting, Christian uh, teaching, and uh, remain disconnected from, from the churches. But there are uh, uh, estimates from ministry uh, and uh, Christian organizations uh, on the ground. Um, so the numbers varied quite significantly. Uh, in recent years, in 2020, a secular group of uh, surveyors conducted a survey on the Iranian attitude towards religiosity. Um, and this it was a very general uh, survey. And of 50,000 people that participated in the survey inside the country, 1.5% identified themselves as Christian. So it's a method of ex extrapolation based on the survey. You come up with a figure between 750,000 to uh, 950,000. That's why in our organization, Article 18, we um, emphasize the figure of 800,000 to just be in the middle which is quite significant considering that before the Islamic revolution 45 years ago, the number of Christians uh, were estimated around 300,000. And this was, the, the, that number um, mainly portrayed the Assyrian and Armenian ethnic religious minorities. Uh, and their number have shrunk. It, now it's less than 100,000. So the remainder of that, it could be 700,000 or uh, what we call the Persian-speaking uh, Christians. It could be from many other ethnic groups, but mostly uh, from Muslim background. So that's um, somehow gives us a picture of what, what, is, uh, what is happening. So it sounds like you're saying that actually the kind of official kind of um, kind of t allowed church the overground church which is mostly kind of historic christian minorities assyrians and armenians is actually now massively outnumbered by christians who are converts from a kind of persian muslim background that is true that is true but then we should also not uh, miss the uh, fact that the, the number of uh, what we call the persian speaking church also includes some of the armenian and assyrians who have chosen to uh, worship together with other uh, ethnic groups and not to uh, divide along the lines of ethnicity or language. And those group of people also subject of persecution um, because they basically provide the opportunity for uh, Iranians from any background, ethnicity or religious background to 
um, have fellowship with them. So is it, am I right in saying that that the the Iranian government kind of tolerates Christian churches if they keep their services in Assyrian or Armenian and don't try and proselytize to Muslims? They are kind of allowed to be out there in the open. But if a church would seek to to be, as you say, a kind of cross ethnic church open to all Iranians, that's actually breaking the law and, and they can be subject to, to persecution, harassment, arrest. Absolutely spot on. And that's the uh, reality, not just in Iran, but uh, throughout the history and even in our modern times in other countries too, like China, the uh, the uh, Communist Party leaders were talking about Chinese brand of Christianity, which basically means to affirm the policies of the government uh, and restrain from um, doing anything that is not under the control of this more totalitarian regimes that want to have a control over all aspects of uh, people's lives. Hmm. Do you think the the regime's hostility to Christianity, is it primarily religious because it's a kind of Islamist regime and therefore they don't like Christians? Or is it political because they're a, a kind of authoritarian regime and therefore they see any dissent as a threat to their rule? I, I would say both. Um, so uh, for many of them, um, who are zealot religious leaders, it's uh, intolerable that uh, people are converting to other faiths. And of course, many become atheists, some turn to uh, historical Iranian religion, and uh, uh, but those who convert to faiths like Christianity are also targeted. Um, so there's religious element to it, but I think uh, Iranian government has become pragmatic, at least those who are in power, they realize they cannot uh, control this. Um, they are themselves to be blamed, basically, by um, the way they have ruled, uh, using the name of Islam, and yet corruption is widespread, and the uh, uh, economy is broken down. All the promises of the revolutionaries have failed. Um, so people have turned their back to them, even uh, the core supporting groups of farmers and uh, the more uh, religious communities as well. However, when it comes to uh, organized uh, religious activities, uh, the totalitarian regimes do have a problem with it. So in China, for instance, we go to a state church, you may be fine because they know what you're doing, what you conveying to the congregation but if you go to a house church or somewhere and that it, and they they don't have an eye uh, or they don't have a control over it this dictatorial paranoia as they say kicks in they want to know what is going on to be able to control it and this is when the state um, requires obedience and worship they want to you to do what they ask you to do and the church has never, uh, or, or in most parts, has never um, um, uh, complied with that. And therefore, the um, there's a political aspect, as you as you mentioned, in why they persecute Christians. Iran's supreme leader in 2010 spelled this out very clearly. He talked about the plots of the enemies of Islam uh, and and the and Iran to weaken people's faith in Islam. And he named three groups mainly, the Baha'is, which is one of the 
most persecuted uh, religious minorities in Iran, talked about a network of house churches, and then he talked about false mysticism, which includes all the dervishes and people that do not necessarily have the version of Islam that they would like to um, people to adhere to. So since then, we have had an incredible increase in the number of people arrested, detained for their Christian faith and activities because the, the top leader identified them as a threat against the state. And yet, despite the kind of persecution ramping up, the church is still growing, which seems kind of remarkable. Yeah, and you, you imagine that the state will learn lessons from history that uh, it, it shouldn't. Uh, we uh, we have uh, we had a pastor in Iran who uh, was martyred in uh, 2000 and uh, 1994. This year is uh, the 30th anniversary of his martyrdom. He was arrested, detained, and imprisoned for nine years before his execution order was passed to him. Under the international uh, uh, pressure, he was released, but six months later, he was brutally um, killed. But I remember that during my time in Iran, and you know, I had a chance to have uh, some discussions with him. He, he, he insisted on this uh, very uh, vivid and visual um, example. It says Christians are like a ball. The harder you hit them on the ground, the higher they go up. And I think that simple message is something that the Iranian government hasn't realized. They closed down many of the Persian-speaking churches. Of all the churches that existed before the Islamic Revolution and probably a little later, all are closed down. Only four Anglican churches do still stand. But since COVID, they haven't been able to have uh, worship services either. And because of this, many Persian speakers had to uh, worship in house churches and uh, to getting together with other perhaps five, 10, 20 of them. And this has broken all the geographical boundaries. And therefore, you don't have just churches in major cities, you got them in villages and rural places as well. Which is, I guess, super encouraging for us watching on to see that actually, no, no matter how much pressure, how difficult it is to believe people are still courageously kind of gathering in, in their front rooms, knowing the risks, being fully aware of the risks they take, but desperate to read the Bible together, to pray together, to learn more about Jesus. Absolutely. And I think there's there's uh, an, one aspect of it is to encouragement to uh, see the resilient and be inspired by it. But at the same time, I think that challenges us not just encourages, but also challenges us to see the pain and the suffering that many of them go through uh, for this very basic fundamental right that we take it for granted, perhaps, in the West. Um, so that as a member of the body of Christ, when we see uh, another member of the body in pain, we uh, rush to help. And I think there is many ways that we can uh, help to uh, alleviate the pain and pressure by uh, being their voice. There's been a lot of um, coverage in the West about the the kind of wave of anti-government protests sparked by the tragic death of that woman who um, by, by the morality police. Um, do you do you honestly believe that kind of there are cracks appearing in the regime that 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 their kind of hold on power is weakening, or do you think they've managed to kind of put down this protest movement and that there's no real hope that that kind of religious freedom will come to Iran anytime soon? 
Well, I, I think the uh, new um, dictatorial regime or totalitarian regime has lasted for, for too long. And um, uh, those who are experts in the field of uh, political science would tell you that there are certain elements that keep any uh, sort of system or governance in power. And when all those pillars uh, are knocked down, uh, mainly by their own failure, uh, basically the Iranian regime's failure, mm -hmm. then you don't have, the last one perhaps is the sheer uh, use of violence that has kept them in power, the, the crackdown. Just imagine just a few years ago, uh, we had another uprising over uh, petrol prices. And in three days, 1,500 people were killed. And in the uprising that lasted more than uh, seven, eight months, uh, since 2002, and still an ongoing thing, by the way, it's, it's just uh, has taken different forms. Uh, more people got killed, more people lost their eyes, must, uh, are still imprisoned. Just last week, we had another person, of uh, the protesters, being executed. But I think uh, this can't last for long. No, no government can rely on um, this iron fist uh, for, for a long time. Hmm. And just lastly, then, for Christians listening to this in, in the West, how can we be praying, particularly for the Iranian church? What are the things that we should be we should be praying and, and advocating on their behalf for? Well, first of all, the families and individuals in prison and their, and their, and their relatives uh, who are also a secondary uh, impact of this persecution they, they feel. Um, so when one person is arrested, and of course there are family members, wife and children who are concerned, and they're all, often also har harassed. Um, so praying for them is an immediate thing, and that they will have the courage. They have stood up for their faith, and they have not denied it even in the court. And now they're spending uh, 5, 10, 20 years in, in prison. Um, so praying for them, but also doing every little bit that we can, like in, in, in two weeks' time, in 20th, on 20th of February, we have the annual presentation of our report in the you know, British Parliament, asking the policymakers in, in our government and in our parliament to uh, listen to this. And um, as they say, you know, uh, human rights and religious freedoms at the forefront of our foreign policy, exercise that in their dealings with Iran. So we asked church members um, to uh, lend their voice by inviting their MPs. There is a petition that we have on our website, but just clicking two minutes, maybe even one, just put your uh, you know, postcode and an email address and press the button, and your MP gets a letter invited to, to this uh, meeting where they can be exposed to uh, have uh, testimonies of pastors who were arrested and imprisoned. Their church was completely closed down, and they get exposed to the reality. So when they make decisions about uh, the dealing with Iran, these things uh, do affect. And Iranian government has proven to respond to this sort of pressure. Um, they may put up a brave face and say it's not, but in reality, they do, as we have seen in, in the last 45 years. Mansour was then able to put me in touch with Fatima, another Christian Iranian exile living this time in New Zealand. Her brother Yasser is currently in prison in Iran, after he was caught leading an underground house church. Mansour kindly is also doing the translation. I'd love to start by asking you just to share a little bit of your own 
background growing up in Iran? Did you grow up as a Christian or or did you convert when you were older? What what's your own kind of story? Uh, so she's born and raised in Iran, Tehran, um, uh, and uh, she's married, has a child, but says, uh, you know, born into a Muslim family. Uh, we were assumed Muslim, but I never had um, any personal conviction. In 2013, uh, she had uh, immigrated to uh, Australia and there she uh, got introduced to Christian. Uh, so, uh, I, and, and I am proud uh, Christian, uh, I uh, uh, have a strong uh, conviction now and uh, we, we, I follow Christ with all my heart. Thank you. And, and your brother Yasser, did he become a Christian separately when while he was still in Iran? How did he come to be leading the, the house church? So Yasser came to faith uh, separately in Iran, but how and when I don't quite remember. Um, but um, it was after uh, I had immigrated and became a Christian. But um, although he he became a Christian later, but um, he's now even more mature, and uh, he uh, whenever I feel. Uh, I need spiritual guidance. It's his words that brings me comfort and uh, the strong uh, believer. And what is the situation for for Christians like Yasser in Iran? His church is, I guess, not like registered with the authorities. So, did he know that it was very dangerous to be leading a house church like that? So, uh, obviously, in Iran, conversion to Christianity and also conducting uh, house church activities uh, such is not uh, supported by, by the law or um, by the government. And there are obviously risks attached. Uh, and uh, Yasser obviously knew, like many other Christians, that this is risky, but he accepted the risk and knowing how important it is for him as a Christian to meet with others. And and how many people would be attending Yasser's house church? Was it growing? Were there more people like like him and you, people from Muslim backgrounds, becoming to faith in Jesus through churches like that? Uh, so yeah, it was uh, it was a growing uh, congregation. They started from just three of them and then grew to... Uh, quite a larger number and they did uh, the day they were arrested there were about 15 of them uh, gathered together in a, in a house church uh, from those uh, four were detained um, and prosecuted um, a few uh, before their conviction was finalized they uh, uh, fled the country but uh, Yasser remained and uh, um, that's why he's now in prison and was it a big surprise when when the government came to to arrest him or did they did you know did he fear that this was always kind of likely or possible to happen they always expected something like this would happen and since um, Yasser was arrested have you been able to be in contact with him at all have you been able to speak to him on the phone at all do you know how he's how he's been doing in prison yeah. 
so yes we do have uh, contacts with him uh, by telephone and um, communications are there uh, of course he's um, under a lot of pressure and he, uh, at, at the moment uh, uh, especially, especially mental and spiritual pressure on him is quite uh, heavy and uh, he, he tries to uh, remain uh, resilient and strong especially because he doesn't want uh, our elderly mother um, to get upset and worried about his conditions in prison but of, of course he's he's under a lot of pressure and have they have the government been pressurizing him to to give them more information about other pastors or other house churches or to to renounce his faith at all yeah they 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 recently have uh, even uh, called him summoned him and uh, uh, kind of warned him that you seem to not have learned from your less uh, your lessons in in prison and you maintain your position and uh, uh, remain Christian and speak up about it um you have to give give your faith up and um um, if you do work with us and uh, collaborate with us, we may be able to even secure a release for you. Uh, so they kind of try to also persuade him or entice him to uh, move over. But he has responded uh, very strongly that, uh, no, I cannot make any compromise on my Christian faith. That's it. That's, you have to live with that. And also about his uh, my Christian activities, I'm not willing to offer you anything else I, i'm entitled to freedom and uh, i'll remember that happens and i understand it's been particularly hard for him in prison because he had a son who needed some some care and who sadly passed away after he was arrested so yes he had a, he had a, a child his son that uh uh was already quite ill and uh, uh was uh, de de during his detention when he was arrested and imprisoned uh, both because of his uh health deterioration but also because uh, he uh, lost the only support he had from his, his father um felt quite ill and when he was informed in prison that about his son's condition uh, despite uh, many requests for leave, it was not given uh, until he was uh, badly hospitalized and was about to pass away. And he was just given uh, a short visit of 20 minutes or so with his son. Um, later, when uh, his son died, um, the uh, prison authorities did not um, give him a leave um, to be in his uh, son's funeral. Um, and um, only uh, the permissions came through a couple of days after the burial and and, and for a short while he, he was just home and he couldn't say goodbye to Charles so he preferred to go back to prison and not stay the whole length of his uh, furlough. I'm sorry that sounds really really difficult. Um, do you have um, any idea what the the future might hold for Yasser, how long he will stay in prison or 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 yeah what 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 happens next 
Yeah, so it's it's really difficult on all the uh, all family and including myself. I'm trauma traumatized. We're feeling so exhausted and uh, um, really only hope that he'll be released soon and uh, leave the country because uh, this government is very unpredictable and the things that they do every day something horrible and shocking could happen. So um, I even have my nightmares and continue to worry about uh, him and uh, his conditions. So, uh, yeah, that's generally how we differ. We've been hearing a lot in the news here in, in the UK about the, the anti-government protests, you know, women, life, freedom in, in Iran. Has has that made the government kind of crack down harder on Christians? Are they seen as part of this kind of anti-government, anti-regime movement? She says, I think that the pressure since has increased definitely because the government feels unstable and uh, wants to uh, maintain control and therefore not just Christians, Baha'is and other faith, uh, faith groups that the government uh, has an issue with. And they uh, put a lot of pressure on on those communities as well. And do you have any hope that things might change in Iran, that there might be a new future where there is freedom for Christians to to worship freely, that the government might fall? I don't have any hopes for for this government to honor uh, religious freedom. Uh, how how just to finish then how can we in in the west christians who have freedom how can we uh pray for and support and speak up for for people like yasser and others in iran who are experiencing persecution Uh, so of course uh we all um do pray and that's an important uh, thing and i have asked personally of any christians and churches i've known in Australia and now in New Zealand uh, to pray um, uh, for uh, Yasser and prisons of conscience. Uh, but also uh, what I would uh, like is to, especially for Christians uh, in, in involving media is to uh, cover this uh, subject and uh, increase the pressure on the Iranian government, which seem to respond to this sort of negative publicity in and in a way to alleviate that pressure from uh, the prisoners and to lessen their uh, pain well um, thank you very much Fatima for for speaking to me and sharing your story I know it's not an easy thing to talk about so I'm very grateful and I'm grateful to to you as well for uh, this interview in all honesty, nobody really knows how the next few years will unfold for the persecuted church in Iran. Perhaps repression will continue to ramp up as a desperate embattled regime resorts to more and more violence to maintain its rule. Or perhaps over time, the Islamic Republic will begin to crumble away as more Iranians boldly stand up against the Ayatollahs. What does seem likely is that despite the dangers, more and more Iranians will meet with Jesus and the church will continue to grow.
That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But before you go, please do leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. And why not tell a friend about the show too? And if you'd like even more church news analysis, you can also subscribe to my new free email newsletter, The Critical Friend. Each week, I send an email packed with links to interesting things happening in the church world and my commentary on them. Just visit tswyatt.substack.com to find out more and subscribe. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 